The first reading is from the third chapter of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust, there may yet be hope, to give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not re reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Here ends the reading. James and John, the brother of James. 
when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. And this, they were over, at this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, who calls us to get up from our deathbeds. Amen. Unfortunately, it's not difficult for us to imagine what the woman in today's gospel story endured. Because we have all, at some point, suffered from some illness that took a physical emotional and social toll on us. Even something as common as a cold can knock you out for a few days, depriving you of sleep and shutting you off from friends and family. But I dare say that almost all of us have more experience than that. Is there any among us who has not received that fateful call from the doctor that the test results came back and it's not good news? Or have any of us not spent years watching a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a grandparent, a sibling, a friend slowly fade? To place ourselves in her shoes is less a matter of imagination and more about remembering that time in our own lives. The text tells us that she endured much under many physicians and spent all that she had and still only grew worse. It's an all too common story. For 12 years, her disease took a physical toll what 12 years of hemorrhaging must have done. Because even in seven days, even just in a single week, similar conditions cause severe pain, anemia from lack of iron and fatigue, and that's to say nothing of the underlying cause behind her bleeding. It is fairly amazing that she was even able to get up and go out to meet the Lord at all. And of course, physical ailments bring with them mental and emotional effects. Those million little what-ifs that grow 
and grow and grow like a mustard seed becoming a shrub that takes over the entire garden or like kudzu infesting the hillside until eventually those what-ifs are now worries and fears and each passing moment they get worse and worse and they conspire with the physical symptoms. They conspire with the pain and keep us up at night, writhing in agony, wondering, what if this never goes away? What if this never stops? What if this is what life is now? What if I don't have much longer? What if the bleeding eventually costs me my life? The financial, the physical, the emotional burdens of her ailment are all compounded by the social isolation that it carried with it. Because under the law of Moses, as it's written in Leviticus, a woman who has a discharge of blood outside her usual menstrual cycle is unclean for as long as she is bleeding. Which is to say that she is pushed to the outskirts of community life. But not only that, any bed or seat that she uses also becomes ritualistically unclean. And anyone who touches that bed or sits in that seat also becomes unclean until evening. So for 12 years, for over a decade, this woman was treated as a source of contagion by her neighbors and even members of her own household. Think about those sleepless nights as worry and pain keep her awake. Not a single family member could lay down beside her and hold her and comfort her and tell her it was okay and that they still loved her without themselves becoming contaminated. How remarkable it is then that she sought Jesus out and just to touch his clothes. Because if it were me, if I had somehow found the strength through my anxiety, through my depression, through my ailment to get up and to go out and to find him and to actually believe, I would want a showy sign. I would want a conversation, some FaceTime. I would want something to indicate that it was going to work. Lord, can you do some of that hand-wavy stuff? Can we, can we just chat for a little while? Or how about this? How about you lay your hand upon my brow or touch my stomach? I heard about that one time where you spit in the dirt and you made some mud and you rubbed it in the guy's eyes to cure his blindness. Maybe you could do something like that. Just something tangible so that I may see and believe. No, all she wanted was to touch him. Not even to touch him, not his body. If I but touch his clothes, she says, I will be made well. What faith she has. Indeed, it is a faith that so many find difficult to accept. Because healing can so often feel so very far away. So very far away that it can be difficult to even read these healing stories, these tales that should be sources of comfort 
become sources of doubt. Because we might very well ask, why didn't our miracle come? Where was God all those nights in the hospice unit? Where is God during this pandemic? Where was God during that car crash? Is it because we didn't have enough faith? Is that why God left us alone in the ER? Is it that we didn't pray the right way? Because tell me, tell me the exact words and I will say them. Did I not pray hard enough? Is there some magical amulet? Can I wear the sacrament around my neck like a lucky charm? Just tell me something so that I can find this healing. And when it doesn't come, we ask, what does this mean? For those of us who are mourning, for those of us with chronic conditions, what does it mean for those of us who daily wrestle against depression or anxiety or any other number of mental illnesses? For those of us who either have dementia or are watching a loved one slip away to dementia? What does this lack of healing today mean for those with cancer or any number of other plagues? Indeed, after 16 months of a pandemic, with more than 3.9 million people around the world dead, with that number climbing, with new variants that are more contagious, more deadly, spreading, after a year of social isolation, after more than a year worried about those closest to us and those we've never met, we might ask, where is the healing? What sacred robe can we touch to make this all better? What holy ritual can we perform to heal those we love? How much of the very body and blood of our Lord must we consume to drive out the unclean spirits plaguing this world? It's enough to send us yelling like the disciples in the boat last week, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? And there are several parts of the Christian tradition that would answer, yeah, you're to blame. If only you had more faith, your depression would fade away. If only your pastor had faith the size of a mustard seed, he could pray away the cancer. If I believed hard enough, I could lay hands on each of you and heal you, and you all could in turn go do that. What a kind world that would be. But dear friends, faith and healing don't work that way. If it did, if faith did work that way, perhaps we could find that faith easier to grasp because it would be matched to miraculous proof. The story of this woman is not told in isolation, though. Jesus didn't set out to encounter her. She sought him out, but he was on his way to Jairus' house. And at that house, he arrived too late. Because before he could get there, the little girl died. And by the time Jesus arrived, the morning was underway. The crowd had gathered, and they were weeping and wailing loudly. 
In the midst of their grief, Jesus entered the house to wake the child up from the sleep of death, saying, Little girl, get up. Immediately life entered her again, and she rose. And in that case, we know that it was not because of her faith. Unlike the woman with the hemorrhage, this child did nothing to receive the gift of new life. Because wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth are not the end of the story. Laughing at the foolishness of hope is not the end of the story. Doubt is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. As we sang in the psalm this morning, the Lord can bring us up from Sheol, from the realm of death, and can restore us to life. And as we read in Lamentations, there is hope, even when one's mouth is put to the dust. Death is not God's plan for us. Grief is not God's ultimate plan for us. Our Lord desires not that we weep, but that we hope. And if we have the faith of the woman seeking only to touch the Lord and be healed, or if we live in our doubt, if we scoff, even if we have slipped beyond all hope and gone unto the grave, our Lord will still bring healing and wholeness. When faith is not only far off but impossible, when hope is laughable, when all that we have and all that we can do fails, even at the graveside, yes, even there, God is acting. Even then, God will set all things to right. Even then, God will heal every affliction. Even then, God will restore to life that which has died. In the fullness of time, when all seems lost, we will hear our Lord call to us and say, little child, get up. Amen.